everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Keibel and John Mikulski. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is Sean Keibel, and as always, I'm joined with uh, my, by my co-host, uh, John Mikulski. Uh, uh, gosh, five shows already, John. It, it seems like a blur. Yeah, you know, and I keep listening back. I don't know if it's narcissistic, but I keep listening back after they, they get published, and I've been really happy with what they sound like. I think our guests have been really um, really quality, and just the topics are, are really on point for, for teachers. So I, so far, so good, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a fun ride already, and really, uh, you've been doing the lion's share of the work, so uh, I can only imagine what it must be like for you. Yeah, that whole thing was a little pat on the back right there, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> Give credit where credit's due. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off uh, this week with uh, I, I think I touched on Google Plus uh, last episode and don't have a whole lot to add to that. I think it's really cool, but uh, it, it was kind of a one-two punch week for me uh, as far as getting these. Uh, I don't know what do you, what do you want to call them? These uh, early adopter invites to uh, to different online uh, things, right? Um, it's funny they do these, uh, you know, invite only things to, you know, it, it's such a social play, right? Like they make you feel like you're special or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exclusive. <laughs> right. So the other one, uh, you know, I just was getting used to Google Plus and had, had been on there for a couple of days. And then I get, uh, uh, an invitation to Spotify and I had never even heard of Spotify before. So, uh, I, you know, I maybe heard, heard mention of it, but I had no idea really what it was. And, uh, but I've heard so many people talking about it. I said, well, certainly, uh, I love to be early in on anything. And I actually made a post, uh, this last week, uh, that the reason I do that is so that I can get my username. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, everything I see, I jump in, I sign up an account, I get my username. And then if it takes off, then great. I have the cool username that I wanted, right? Uh, same thing happened with, uh, with Twitter. And I like to, uh, as an online handle, I like to use Sean TX. And, uh, uh, so I go out there and everything I, I can, I try to sign up with that, with that handle. And, uh, I did the same thing with Twitter early on, uh, before it really exploded and, uh, was lucky enough to get my handle there. So same thing with Spotify. And, uh, if you don't know what Spotify is, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like iTunes in the cloud, but, uh, without having to pay all the money. Does that make any sense? Yeah, you know, I, the only one that I really am aware of is Pandora. I use Pandora, my my iPad, and my iPhone. Is it similar to that? Um, in a way, I guess uh, as far as uh, I guess the money goes, it really is similar because um, it really doesn't cost much. I mean, it's totally free, but they have uh, kind of a, a freemium model, so they have upgraded uh, uh, accounts that you can you can sign up for. But really all it is, I mean, it, it's cool. You go in and it looks very much like an iTunes interface, but it's dark. So the iTunes interface is kind of light. Um, but this is a, a dark interface, but it's almost, if you're used to using iTunes, it's going to be very intuitive to you. And you can go in and you just search for music, um, any band, song, whatever that you like. And uh, they they really brag quite a bit on the service that they have uh, just about anything out there. And I'll say that about 90% of what I was looking for was actually on there. 
And uh, so you search a band, let's say uh, Aerosmith, you search Aerosmith and you get all of these, uh, all of their albums and all of their music and everything. And then you can just add that music into your playlist and for free. And it's amazing. Um, It's the responsiveness of it is really cool. Uh, You just, you can click on the song and it just immediately starts playing and it's a great sound. I mean, they, they boast that it's CD quality sound and it really is. I have to say I was amazed at, you know, how responsive it was. Um, But the really cool thing is you're just, you're getting all this music. um, You know, uh, I didn't see, I don't know. There might've been some ads in the interface, but they weren't intrusive. Uh, and, and you can just, I, I don't know, I added three or 400 songs to my playlist, and, you know, just in mouse clicks, you know? So what's stopping me then from, uh, adding an entire album and, and basically getting that, that album for free? That's, that's the beauty of it. There's, All right. there's really not, <laughs> it's amazing. Now I did go underneath the hood and I checked, uh, you know, cause I was like, well, okay, how are, how are they doing this? Because, um, if you pay for the upgraded account, you can actually download those files for offline play. So if your internet connection goes out or something like that, uh, you can download those files. And then they also have iPhone and Android apps. So you can also have offline play on your phones, right? And uh, wow. so I was, I was wondering how they were doing that. I said, surely you're not getting, you know, all these MP3s. And what they have is, uh, when you actually download the files for offline use, if you have a, a premium account, uh, they are stored in what looks to be a Spotify, uh, Spotify's own, uh, uh, file format. So, you know, you can't just take that file and just put it anywhere. And I'm sure that there's some, uh, some cross authentication maybe to, uh, your devices or your login or something like that. So, uh, I can see where they're, they're still making sure that you can't just run wild with it and distribute it. But, uh, but boy, you sure do get all the use out of it that you want. Yeah. While you were talking, I just, uh, signed up for an invite. So <laughs> I oh, can give yeah. you my, <laughs> yeah, it, it took like 10, actually the, I'm looking at the site right now and it, um, they, you know, along the side, they have all the quotes, like the promotional stuff, people plugging the, the site. And there's actually a quote from Mark Zuckerberg that just says, Spotify is so good. Apparently he couldn't come up with anything better than that, but Hey, it's yeah. endorsed by Mark Zuckerberg, so there you go. I, well, I'm going to tell you, and of course, he's not—he's not exactly uh, the most vocal guy in the world, right? But no, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it kind of does leave you speechless a little bit when you first use it. You're like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. I mean, you, uh, you, I guess the experience before the only thing that really uh, matches up to that is if you had an iTunes account and you went out and you spent several hundred dollars to get, you know, a couple thousand songs or whatever in your playlist. Well, now you can go do the same thing and it, it doesn't cost you a dime. Nice. Um, and again, you know, you pay for the premium account and you get some extra features like, you know, the, uh, the offline mode and things like that. But if you got a good internet connection, uh, that's really all you need is the free one. So, um, uh, great, great service. Definitely check it out. Uh, I will say they're a little tighter with the invites. Uh, when I got my invite, which I, I got it, uh, I, I have a, an account on clout, which, uh, is sort of a, it's, it's a website that basically ranks like how popular you are online. Right. <laughs> and, uh, by virtue of having an account with clout, that's how I got my invite. 
but when I got my account set up and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to send some invites out to some other people because that's like always how it works, right? And uh, it said, I have zero invites. So uh, I guess I'm not cool enough. I was cool enough to get signed up, but not cool enough to be able to invite anybody else. So uh, <laughs> if you're listening out there and you're wondering why I didn't give you an invite, uh, that's that's why. So. Uh, you're yeah. just on the cutting edge right right <laughs> so uh definitely uh get out there check it out spotify uh i think you're gonna really like it and with that said i guess uh john you got anything else for uh for our little warm-up time no i think that that's a really cool uh site for everyone to take a look at and we'll, we'll end it there for now how was how was your last week uh, it's been kind of crazy here. Um, as you know, I'm in New York right now, and uh, Buffalo is ex- experiencing extreme heat. Oh, I had the whole country is right now, but right. Um, we've been hitting we've been hitting like mid 90s right now, which is nothing for for you Texans. But we have the high humidity, <laughs> and it's it's just a, a mess. We have um, one little window air conditioner in in actually my 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 wife's bedroom, and nothing else in the house. So yesterday, I kind of kept walking by the thermostat, and we hit 95 inside the house yesterday. So Ooh. it's uh it's been a little warm the last couple of days. Um, uh, a lot of excuses to hop in the van and uh, and drive around with the kids just because it has it has air. <laughs> so other than that, we're not doing a whole lot. It's been kind of a quiet week. Yeah, that is brutal. That is brutal. Yeah, I mean, we're uh, we're pretty much every day for oh, at least the last month um, over a hundred. But uh, in Texas, it's just the AC always works, and if it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it, it becomes your number one priority. So uh, we live from AC zone to AC zone. Uh, yeah, and us us Buffalonians, we're gonna complain about everything. Uh, in about ten episodes from now, we'll we'll be talking about how much I hate the cold and the snow and being under eight feet of it. So I, I'm just going to complain every time about the weather. I don't really like anything. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'll take this, uh, take this time to uh, bring in our guest and maybe we can, because he's from another locale. So maybe we can get his input on what it's like down there. Uh, our, our guest this week is Brian Brueger. Am I saying that right, Brian? That is correct. All right, Brian Brueger, and uh, he's a IT administrator for the Meyer Academy, and that's a private K through eight school in West Palm Beach, Florida. So, uh, before I ask you to really introduce yourself and tell us about you, or tell our listeners about you, uh, what, what's it like down there in Florida? Um, it is consistently in the nineties, um, pretty much year round. Um, for you Buffalonians, you may be experiencing kind of what we're experiencing, you know, at the moment or what we normally experience. But um, for everybody else, what I like to compare it to is just crawl into your oven, turn it up a little bit and, um, you know, hang out there for a little while. And that's kind of what it's like in South Florida. <laughs> uh, I'm right with you. I know. <laughs> yeah. The- at, at the occasional sea breeze. And that's what it's like here. Yeah, well, I, I like John said, I don't think there's too many people in the U.S. right now that uh, aren't experiencing some sort of discomfort. I mean, even if you're <laughs> if you're in uh, Southern California, you know, where it's always like 75 and sunny, uh, they're they've got to be like you know 85, 86, and they're probably dying out there. So uh, it's all yep. relative, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm originally from Michigan, so I enjoy the cold. And um, when we have a cold front down here. It, it hits in the 70s and, you know, once or twice a year, we'll actually see something in the 40s. All right. You well, know what? Oh, 40s weather. 
I was going to say 40s weather for my students is, is shorts weather. Usually starting like February, we start seeing them. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's bad when you have to wear a winter coat up top, but it's warm enough to be eligible for shorts down below. That, that's how that's how Buffalo rolls. When I started teaching down here, it would be in the in the 60s. And the students would walk in, and this was, you know, in the late 90s. So the students would walk in with their starter brand jackets, <laughs> the really thick, down-filled ones. Yeah. And I would look at them and I'd say, guys, what are you doing? And they're like, it is freezing out there. And I'm like, all right, this is physics class. And by the way, water doesn't free this at 60. <laughs> <laughs> so all the that, all the uh, coats were piled in the back of the classroom and and we just went at it, you know. Like men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just man up. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Brian, let's, uh, uh, as we usually ask our guests to do when they first come on, I'm going to uh, just give us a brief uh, intro to who uh, Brian Brueger is and uh, uh, what you uh, what you do now. And um, uh, just give us the rundown. Sure. Um, well, I'm IT administrator now at Meyer Academy. Um, that's taken place for about four years. Um, from there, I came from the local public school, Palm Beach County School District, which is one of the largest um, uh, school districts in North America. And there I served as a technology coordinator at a few different school sites. Um, and previous to that, I was a physics and web design teacher um, and then throw into the mix a brief uh, three-year move back to Michigan where I worked for a charter school company and worked on integrating technology into the classroom there as well as um, development on like student information systems and a few in-house things that we were doing um, as a as a school. On the side, I played drums and um, pretty much do all the nerdy things that um that you know embarrass my wife publicly and things like that i live on my phone and ipad and um so it's a job but it's also a lifestyle for me all right well uh um we today are going to be talking about communication through blogging uh so just to kind of lead off with uh with that topic and uh, i'm going to kind of turn the the question portion or uh, the lion's share of that over to John. So, John, you want to get started? Yeah, you know, let me just give a, a quick backstory here. Um, I'm teaching a, a graduate level uh, college course for teachers, and the topic for one of my, my lectures one day was blogging. So I was trying to get uh, information and anecdotes and, and just extra little stuff that I may have forgotten. Um, so I sent out a quick tweet and said something about, you know, what are advantages, disadvantages to blogging? And Brian, that's kind of where you first came into play because you had, a, I think we started to have a, a back and forth conversation. So it sounds like you're really uh, in the mix with the blogging piece of school. But the cool thing about it that I didn't really think the angle to take um, is you coming from uh, an IT administrator, you see it a little bit differently than the teachers might or even the students might. So why don't we talk uh, to start off about that. Um, as a tech director at your school, what role do you even play with blogging and, and how that works with, with students and teachers? Well, um, when I started with our school four years ago, nobody blogged. Um, we did have email. That was popular. Um, but our website was was bad and and so essentially, I would say that the role I've played at Meyer Academy has been um, the catalyst or 
the one to blame, depending on how you have your perspective on it. <laughs> um, what we did is we started a new website um, when I came on board and new infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. And when I was observing the school and like what we did, I noticed that we had this homework hotline. And while I love the idea of homework hotline, it um, the way we were doing it was was extremely time consuming. And I have little kids. And so I was thinking, you know, as a parent, would I actually participate in homework hotline as it's designed at this school? So what they did is the teachers would write out a, a document, email it to a secretary. And then from there, they would um, the secretary take them into a, you know, a dark room in the back somewhere. And they would record a voicemail for every grade level in the school K through eight. And these voicemails could be really long, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And then the parents were supposed to call into that number and just listen through their grade level until they heard their child's teacher. And I went, there's no way I'll do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm trying to come up, you know, how can we do this and everything? And I really wanted to encourage blogging at our school. So I, I tricked them. I said, let's make homework hotline available on the web. And, you know, initially that was, that was kind of a, well, we're not sure we want to do that from the admin. So we just promoted the idea that they could, um, that they could, you know, parents could log in and they wouldn't have to go to, um, you know, listen through all this information. So they'd be able to get the information a lot faster. And so that was my, my effort was just to kind of trick them into blogging and, and it worked. So it started off with, you know, teachers just posting their homework on the blog and then slowly, you know, they started to, you know, come around to posting more and more information. Well, last year we had an administration change and had a new head of school come in. So we went through all of last year, still continuing with the homework and slowly starting to get more blogs, if you will, in terms of content. It was more not just, you know, these are the homework assignments for today, but they'd start to talk about what happened in their classroom, but only a few teachers. So then um, each year, our eighth grade class takes a trip to um, Israel. And our head of school said, I would like to do my own, you know, a whole blog page. And I said, well, that's excellent. You know, so we actually threw them into blogger um, and created an entire um, uh Meyer Academy goes to Israel blog where the head of school and all of the students actually participated and, you know, did their daily blogs from there. Um, and then this summer, while on one hand, as an IT guy, I cringe because it means more work for me. On the other hand, I'm really excited. Our head of school has asked for a video blog so that he can do a weekly video blog um, as a communication method um, throughout the, the course of the year. So really I kind of, you know, just tricked them into jumping off the edge. And then we, um, we slowly are, are changing the content that we're doing as we move forward. Uh, I'm curious. Um, uh, can you guys still hear me there? Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, um, that video blog, is that something that you're hosting externally or are you, uh, hosting that through your own website? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> um, Still looking it was into something that? In, 
Yeah. <laughs> the um, we're looking into a few options, including um, we're primarily a Mac school at this point, um, and so we've looked into using um, podcast producer and hosting that locally. We've also looked into um, the possibility of you know having hit have having um, the head of school record it locally and then me post it through YouTube. Um, and we really haven't settled on anything yet. Um, I'm open for suggestions. If there's people out there listening, um, we'll, I'm, it's a learn as we go thing, but it, it's still exciting to, uh, to have a good challenge like that. Yeah. There's so many ways that you could do something like that. Uh, I'm even thinking, uh, you know, we, we broadcast this show live on Ustream and of course you got uh, YouTube as well, but, uh, where you could possibly, you know, you want to set it up as easy as possible for, uh, for the uh, head of the school to actually be able to do and hopefully take as little work as possible from you. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So (laughs) you don't uh, want it to be too easy for them. So yeah, something like that. And then, uh, just, you know, having an embed code that you can slam right back into your own website or, uh, or just, you know, even possibly link to it. Uh, and then of course, uh, another thing that comes to mind for me is if you could get him to record it and put it into a specific folder or something like that, and then you could, uh, sync it up with your own website and uh so exactly yeah yeah he's pretty tech savvy so it's a it's encouraging because um you know he actually wants to take questions and be able to you know have people submit questions over the course of um over the course of the week and then he'll take a question you know from our community being parents students teachers even and then respond to you know a question or two in the blog It's, it's pretty cool Okay. You know, and that's one thing that's interesting about blogs, though, is that people are still really kind of skeptical about it or, or hesitant to use it, especially teachers. So the fact that you have an administrator who is this gung-ho on it um, is awesome. I mean, that's going to really uh, kind of push everyone to that, that side of the fence. So you'll probably be busy in the next year getting all that stuff together, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's revolutionized what we're doing um in in the school because we have something somebody who not just um i i was listening to um episode two um just earlier in in this week um and you guys were talking to an administrator out of north carolina i believe and in that yeah in that conversation i thought you know i have somebody just like that who not, not only says that they like technology but is willing to model it exactly like he wants it modeled in the classroom. And, you know, there's, it's priceless as, you know, I'm, yes, I'm a tech guy first, but, you know, having been in the classroom, I just can't seem to let go of that teacher side of it. And it's, it's priceless to have somebody who you don't have to convince on the why first, and then also on the how. The why is already taken care of. Now it's just a matter of how do we get it done. Right. Well, and that, that's the easy part for him, right? Because he just says, uh, make it happen. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that's a perfect time to talk about uh, the making it happen part. I guess we, we touched on it uh, initially, but any any ideas of how you're going to do that back end, you know, set that up? <clears throat> well, right now, um, you know, in terms of what we're – We've been using a, a Joomla-based website. Um, when, we, when we started our web design stuff, um, 
in, in terms of building the new website when I came in four years ago, I was looking for some type of content management system, whether it be, you know, WordPress or Blogger or something to build our website on. And what we ended up settling on was a, a program called Joomla. Um, what problem uh, or what the what we wanted to do and what we were what was available to us um we wanted to do an awful lot of neat stuff but we wanted something that was free and all we had to do is pay for the hosting so we settled on the joomla um, program because it has extensions and things like that so currently our website if you were to go to myracademy.org um is a joomla website and then our blogging tool is using a my blog extension um, the my blog extension costs, I want to say about $30 maybe. Um, and you know, we've had to upgrade that one or two times. So total investment over four years has been about say $60. Um, and that's kind of, you know, started at the core. What we're doing moving forward is. Um, we've actually transitioned to another company that kind of does an all-in-one student information system and that will combine our actual live website along with, you know, financial information and our grade book and all that kind of stuff integrated into one location. With that, we're losing, you know, the Joomla site that we've been using for our blogging, but Last year, we also transitioned to Google Apps and moved away from Microsoft's Exchange um, for our email um, provider. So with Google Apps, we have built in, you know, when the teachers log into their um, their Meyer Academy email, it's actually a Google-based um, program, looks just like a normal Google site. And we can build sites via Blogger right through those programs. So what we're going, what we're planning to do now is to link out, um, out of our new website to their, um, to their Google pages, if you will, so that they, each teacher can create a site. We have a couple teachers, uh, one of our science teachers, for example, who's created, um, their own blog on an outside, um, uh, service and, I guess if you want to look at the disadvantages of doing it this way, one, um, as an IT administrator, I don't necessarily have control over all of their sites. Um, that could be seen as a disadvantage for uniformity or whatever, but um, it also gives them the ability to be um, to to be themselves and to put their personality into the site, which I have found is is stifling for the teacher if they are not able to do it. So we're encouraging them to be themselves, um, obviously to be appropriate and, and to, you know, create their blogs through, um, their Google apps, blogger access. And as of right now, it looks like, um, that will probably be the video blog tool also, meaning creating the, the videos locally, either through podcast producer or via YouTube, um, just integrating and posting those um, videos to the head of school's uh, blog um, might be the the easiest move forward, um, primarily because of it's something he's familiar with. We know that there's not a lot of um, 
overhead on our part and you know editing shouldn't be too long for a five minute video blog well let me let me play the pessimist here for a second um as you move forward and you have more and more teachers posting more and more content um, aren't you also creating more opportunity for problems with either inappropriate use or inappropriate comments that kind of thing have you had problems with that in the past or how are you <laughs> planning on dealing with that um we I'll, I'll speak specifically to the comments part first because it's an easy answer um turn it off, we haven't right? had we haven't had problems with comments because we don't allow them oh, yeah. um in in the process of convincing our administration um back when we started the blogging process they were concerned um less about inappropriate um comments from parents in terms of you know, things that just shouldn't, you know, be said in public type of a thing. They were more concerned about parents addressing their child's personal issues with the teacher, you know, whether they're doing well or whatever via the blog and thinking that it was private. And so they were actually more concerned about that than they were you know, inappropriate comments in terms of foul language or, or things like that. So we actually, we turned off comments. They are still off. Um, but for the first time with our Meyer and Israel blog, we actually opened up comments through the blogger site and did not have any um, adverse effects from it. Um, one of the things that our, our head of school um tends to say is that with, you know, we're a K through eight school. And so our students um, are, you know, sheltered more, if you will, than, you know, perhaps high school students would be. But this is an opportunity for them to learn in a controlled and safe environment. And if we just deny them access to everything, then they won't ever have the opportunity to learn the the appropriate way to behave in that particular environment. So, you know, perhaps we have a slightly um, more open internet filter than the public school does um, in our county, but we've, we've found that it's providing more teaching opportunities and it's actually not resulted in the, the damage or inappropriate behavior at the rate that we thought it might have. Um, as far as inappropriate content, um, we haven't had a problem with inappropriate content. We've had a problem with content in general, meaning our teachers initially have been very reluctant to put anything in their blog because they've always had a private enclosed classroom, meaning, you know, what happens in my room is my room. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> right, that's what, what I was happens thinking. In my room stays in there. <laughs> so they, you know, opening this up and, you know, the way I describe it in training sessions or when we're discussing with teachers is use that blog to allow your parents to relate to what's going on. By reading your blog, your parents should be able to, you know, pick up their kids in the afternoon and say, Hey, I heard that you guys are studying, you know, frogs and science. Tell me about that. 
And, you know, as a parent, what a great opportunity that is to initiate conversation instead of just saying, you know, how was your day? And the student says, good. And the conversation's over. And it's right, what'd a quiet you learn, ride. <laughs> you know, they play their Game Boy the rest of the way home or play on the iPad or iPhone on the rest of the way home and there's no more conversation. So trying to actually encourage the teachers to talk about what happens in their classroom and to be open has actually been the bigger content issue versus um, uh, versus um, the inappropriateness of, you know, whatever was was done. That's interesting that you mentioned that because the experience I've seen with teachers isn't so much the concern over posting content. It's the consistency in, in posting. Usually you'll see in September they have a post three times a week and then October comes <laughs> and it's twice. And then by like Christmas, there's one little thing where they post a, you know, a, an icon for, you know, Christmas or the holidays and then <laughs> you never see it again. So, uh, Absolutely. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, it's there. There's been a little bit of fear amongst our staff in terms of, you know, letting the parents in, if you will. Um, there has been the inconsistency, you know, intended to start off gung ho and then slowly drop off over time. Um, I think as they see other um, other teachers do it. They tend to get a little bit more challenged by that in terms of, you know, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. And if they're doing it, perhaps I should do it. Um, I'm I think that, you know, now that we've come into the new head of school, they've got one year over there under their belt. They start to see the modeling continue. Um, I, I think that the consistency will, will will end up paying off. The other trick is, is how do we. How do we display that this blogging thing is successful and not just another thing t for me to do? Um, that one's been a little bit tough. You know, how do we go about convincing um, a teacher that, you know, spending this time to do the blogging is actually worth it? Because we obviously know that there's a million other things that they could be doing and blogging probably isn't top on that list. Right. Well, when you do your, your workshops and things, what do you tell them as far as advantages to doing blogging as opposed to having you <clears throat> record having you record those those voicemail messages for parents in the back room? The well that one, um, the the homework hotline one was an easy convince because we figured if you know if you're writing it down, write it down once, you don't have to send it anywhere and you can know that what you said was correct. So that one was fairly easy to convince with. Um, in in training sessions, which, you know, haven't been as, as prominent as they should have been, or what we end up doing a lot of is a lot of private um, tutoring and things like that with the teachers, you know, one-on-one -on, -one on their break time or whatever. It We discuss and talk about how is it that they can um, how is it that they can let the teacher or the parent know what it is that's happening in the classroom? And by doing so, perhaps that parent won't have quite the number of questions because they're understanding the classroom. What I noticed when I was a teacher was you, there were two types of parents. One, 
the parent that you did not know existed because they never contacted you for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the student could break their leg and you'd still never hear from them. And then the other parent, which we have an awful lot of that is really wants to be involved, but I don't know that they know how to be involved. Um, and if you allow them the opportunity to understand what's happening in the classroom, then they actually become an ally versus, you know, that parent that just is always bugging you just because they want to know and understand. Uh, yeah, that makes me, uh, and you guys actually kind of touched on this, and I'm kind of curious if there's any differences there. But, uh, Brian, <laughs> as far as the teachers and maybe uh, their, uh, you know, trepidation with uh, with opening the classroom up to uh, to the outside, uh, do you see, uh, and John, I, I'd like to hear from you on this too, uh, any like higher frequency of helicopter parents since you're at a private school there? <laughs> um <laughs> I would say I've noticed less with the blogging, what we get, um, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of helicopter parents, it, we actually have more fear regarding, you know, should we post our progress reports and post, you know, allow parents to have access to grades and in every school or district or whatever that I've ever been involved with, and we started to open up access, whether it be grades or blogging or anything, initially, it results in more questions. And I say initially, I'm talking like the first quarter that you do that, you know. And after they start to understand what to do with this more information, if you will, then the questions will drop off below where they ever used to be because now that they have the information, they don't need to call as much. And now that they understand, you know, how to interpret that information. So it really, you know, it relies on the teacher in terms of this is the information I'm giving you. This is what it means. And this is how I see it. And then the parent will understand what the information is, how the teacher reads it. And often will you know, drop the number of questions. So, you know, if it's regarding grades, let the parents know in your blog how you view grades and, you know, what your grade book looks like so that when they see it, they'll understand it. Yeah, I I agree. You know, I've had the same thing, Brian. Um, I do a a blog actually for my team. So we all, all the teachers will will update every, every day or so. Um, The helicopter pilots, or pilots, the helicopter parents, Sean, (laughs) hey, they're one of the same after a while. They're always trying to get you. Um, they're going to find you whether it's through a blog or if it's they know your phone number, they know your room number at school, they know the address of the school, they know your hours, they're going to hunt you down. So um, I, I haven't had too many problems with that as far as blogging goes. Um, but for the most part, we normally have a few parents that will comment on everything, and that's wonderful. But um, I wonder how many passive viewers we have. And I think that's been going back to what you said earlier, um, Brian. How do you convince people that blogging works? Because lots of times you don't know how many people have read things. You don't know how they're using that information or what they think of that information. That's There's kind of a, a gap there, and that can be tricky sometimes to, to convince uh, teachers to take the, the leap on. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, to me, the advantage of of blogging then would be 
you know, that it's, it, you're making the information accessible to the parents on their terms, because, you know, uh, our teachers, we have voicemail for our teachers and I really don't understand why, because we know that it's the most inconvenient thing for the teachers to check and to monitor, but the parents want to just be able on their terms to pick up the phone and get a hold of the teacher. Well, obviously the teacher's standing in front of their child as well as, you know, 30 other children and it it's inconvenient. What the parent wants to be able to do is, you know, to instantly, you know, on their time access and understand what's going on with their children in the school. So to me, as a teacher, we need to provide that information, make it easy on the parents because then they'll actually utilize it. And then in a way we kind of have to have blind faith that in time they're going to start understanding. And it may be a lot of references, you know, back to school night when you're in front of your parents and, you know, throughout the course of the year, if you ever email them, you know, constantly point them back and let them know where the information is. But, um, I, I think a lot of the parents are just looking for a way um, to understand what happens, you know, between, you know, eight and four and in, in the course of their children's day. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we've been talking a lot about parents and I'm curious, uh, have, have your teachers been using this like in the classroom or with the students at all? Uh, <coughs> we've heard stories before where teachers are using this, um, uh, either a, they, they've got students blogging and maybe getting feedback, uh, uh, from other classrooms or either uh, other classrooms in other countries, um, or even just within their own campus. You guys do anything like that? Um, I would say slowly. Um, we're starting to get um, this past year. We had a couple teachers, um, one who created their own blog site and they build um, web quests and different resources. And even as doing it over the course of the summer, it's sending out information um, for their students to actually interact with, whether it be to download something, fill it out and then email it back to the teacher to go there and to comment and or participate in some way. Um, we have another teacher who utilized Edmodo um, over the course of the year, first as just a test of will this thing even work in the classroom, and then slowly um, started to use it more and more um, because in, in her case with Edmodo, um, she decided to put together some information and post it out there and have the students go there. And then she forgot about it unintentionally. And she went back in, you know, a few days later and realized that the students has have, were actually spending time after school online chatting with each other and genuinely helping them with learning the topic. One student would, you know, post a question, how does this work? And the other student wouldn't just provide the answer. They would actually guide them through the process all through Edmodo and chatting. And, I'm, and I'm, that's when I'm she realized. Experiment. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that's when she realized that, you know, this is a powerful tool and it has nothing to do with me as a teacher. 
you know, I'm uh, I'm experimenting right now with Edmodo as well. Very similar circumstance. I, I set it up for a, a summer book reading club that I'm doing with my students. And uh, same thing is happening. I'll forget about it. Or I'll, I went away on, on vacation, went camping for a few days and came back. And there's all kinds of posts and responses on there. So it, Edmodo is a great alternative if you are a teacher or you are in a school where they have that hesitation about going the blogging route. The Edmodo route is very similar, um, not necessarily in the structure, but in how that communication happens and how that content is delivered. The only difference is that Moto is completely secure. It's almost like a, a, I keep referring to it as like a password protected Facebook, closed Facebook, you know, network. So um, mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting you brought that up because I, I'm in that same spot where I'm, I'm looking at it as a way to start using it in class, but I'm not quite there yet. So good to hear that someone's like a year ahead of me on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have the same condition of early adoption that Sean, you mentioned that you have. Um, whenever I see something new, I immediately want to be a part of that and realize that somewhere along down the line, I have to decide, you know, we can't use all 12 blogging platforms that I'm familiar with and trying to pick which one to use is is really difficult because you kind of want to have your hand in every single pot that you possibly can. Um, and so what I've tried to do um, recently is at least keep my eyes open to it's okay to have different teachers doing different things as opposed to having absolutely every one of them doing the exact same thing. Um, and it's tough, but, you know, at some point, I think the decentralized model is actually um, becoming the proper way to run a school in terms of technology, letting each teacher, you know, be a little bit more unique versus having, um, you know, having them all doing the exact same cookie cutter thing. Oh, that is so nice. As a teacher, hearing a, a, an IT <laughs> administrator saying that, I just applaud you. That's so good because uh, I, I, that's that. Well, I didn't say it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say for teachers, that's the most common um, complaint about using technology is that it is so structured and and very very restricted as to what they can use. And the unfortunate part about that is that they know what will work in their classroom and it may not be the same thing that's going to work in the classroom next door. So um, kudos to you for, for acknowledging that even though it may be a little more work on your end, it's going to yield higher gains in the end. It, it um, just the word decentralized to an IT guide really gives me shivers. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned before, you know, having been in the classroom, I understand the other side, if you will. And and, you know, recently we've just we've come to to grips with we might have to decentralize because we're utilizing these new fangled things called iPads. And it has been a tough road for me to, you know, kind of break the mold of building images and deploying things so that everything's exactly the same. Because it it's just such a personal thing. And if I do that, then it's kind of like giving you my device and you not having a device. <laughs> so it, it's been tough. And um, I wouldn't say that it's easy. Um, as an IT guy, the trick to un is understanding 
why it needs to be personal. Because truthfully, every IT guy, if you walk in and look at his computer, it's not built on the same image. Trust me. Because if we have to call somebody for a problem, we call ourselves. So we figure we can put whatever we want on our computer. And it's trying to under let them understand that even even though it's at a lower level in terms of what they may be doing in the classroom versus what the IT guy's doing, that personalization is still important to adoption. I like how uh, you very nonchalantly toss it out there. Oh, and we're getting iPads too. And then you kept going, and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, isn't everybody? Is yeah. Everybody, you know, you know, uh, your school's doing one-to-one iPads next year. Is that right? Uh, yes, we are. Um, we're doing that in our um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade classes. Um, and... Uh, I, the, the funny thing is, is, you know, we've gotten parent questions that says, you know, well, what are, what exactly are they going to be doing with them in the classroom? And my most typical response is, um, who knows? And isn't that the beauty of it? It, we don't know what they're going to be doing. Um, and I'm more excited by that unknown than I am challenged by it at the moment. Um, because I have a feeling that what ends up happening in the classroom is going to be probably a lot greater than what I ever could have come up with if I just said, this is what we're doing, um, on my own. I, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm still a little on the fence on that. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see, uh, of course, more and more apps have come out over time. And, uh, so there's a lot of neat things that are, are continually becoming available there. Um, but uh, I also see a lot where it's just kind of the, the pretty factor. So I'm kind of wondering where that's going to fall. I think it just it will probably mature over time. So in the beginning, it's sure. going to be a lot of wow, and uh, uh, which is what Apple's known for. You know, let's make everything beautiful and wow everybody. Uh, <laughs> but but you and know, do a good job. But that's not yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in the classroom because it it does help adoption rates, right? So everybody, you know, obviously the kids are going to want to. To, uh, get onto those devices and use them, and if you can just trick them into learning in the, at the same time, then uh, <laughs> then, then you're doing a great thing. So uh, I, I'm really curious to see. I, I will definitely have to check back with you, you know, after maybe a year or two of uh, of that program and just see how it's how it's going. And because uh, I'm really curious, I, I can see uh, some pluses and minuses there. And of course, uh, I work for a, a public school, so uh, uh, an initiative like that would just we could never do it budget wise. So, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. I would have to say I'm, I have been on the fence the entire time. And, um, I actually one day, um, earlier in the school year, um, this past year, um, went to lunch with our head of school and, you know, we were still trying to get to know each other a little bit. And my question to him was, you know, where do you see educational technology going? And, um, you know, what is, what is your plan or your vision, you know, look like, you know, a month from now, two years, so on and so forth. And he responded with, I know what I don't know. And it's a phrase he's used before and a, a number of times since then, basically saying that that's not my area of expertise. So I want you 
to, you know, kind of capture some ideas, go to your community and find out what you, um, you know, what our school vision is, and then come back to me with it. So he challenged me to write a white paper for our school on this, you know, where are we going with technology? So I spent months writing this white paper and, you know, was agonizing over it and this and that. And basically said that, you know, in the early grades, we could implement an iPad or some type of personal device. And as they go up, we'll go to more powerful devices and eventually laptops in the, in the middle school and everything. And then we start sitting down in meetings and he goes, I think we should go with iPads in the middle school. And I said, I disagree. We need more power in the middle school. <laughs> and, and, and we debate this back and forth. And then, you know, over time, I've actually kind of come around as the apps come out. Um, the iPad 2 was something that we waited for because we wanted the, the camera ability as well as the ability to um, present to the class and do screen sharing over the device. Um, and, you know, one of our last meetings in terms of, you know, deciding do we iPads or do we do laptops and, you know, looking at costs and everything. And he said something to me then that was really profound and and kind of hit home a little bit for me. And he said, well, number one, I think we have the paralysis of analysis. And I'm like, oh, no, he just pegged me. <laughs> and because I love to look at all the devices and, you know, should we go Android? Should we do iPad? Should we do laptops, Windows or Mac? And, you know, just analyze all day long and then later on realize that we never made a decision and didn't go anywhere. And, you know, being in West Palm Beach, he said, you know, you know, what if I told you that our job was to travel to, you know, Atlanta, Georgia? And I said, OK. And he's like, well, obviously, you know, my personality is one that I want to get in a plane, a small plane, because I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to go straight from here to there. I don't even want to take the time for, you know, landing. Just let me parachute out and I'll be there. And. He said, but what if somebody came along and offered you a boat ride? And my first response, didn't even take a second, was you can't take a boat to Atlanta because there's no, you know, river or whatever that'll actually take you from West Palm, you know, all the way to Atlanta. And he said, I know that, but what if you had that opportunity? Would you take it? And he just left the conversation right there and it took, you know, a couple of weeks of mulling it over to realize that we need to start. We know what our goal is in terms of seeing students use the devices and to actually implement them in the classroom and have it be like a pencil or like a pen and just be part of what we do, not, you know, a specific class. And perhaps the iPad is not the device. Perhaps a laptop is not the device, but we need to start traveling in the direction of our goal and then realize, you know, as we go, be aware of where we're at and make course corrections as we go. But waiting for that perfect plane to take us straight to Atlanta just isn't going to result in any positive movement for the, for the students. Whereas picking something and choosing to make the best of it despite its shortcomings is a better choice for the sake of the students.
because otherwise we just sit there and analyze all the time. So it was kind of a wake up call for me. Um, I felt challenged by that and said, all right, well, that means that we need to convince our teachers that this is the right device, all the while telling them that we don't have all the answers. Well, I, I'm thinking that not, I'm thinking that's an easy sell, though, right? I mean, I, I, I haven't heard many teachers that said, "Oh no, I don't want iPads in my classroom." Yeah. <laughs> um, we have, but only because they didn't want, you know, they didn't want one themselves, or you know, they weren't getting one themselves, so now they don't want to use them. <laughs> yeah, or they didn't want to be responsible for them, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the um, but yeah, basically, it's it's been you know our we've been do we've done three training sessions over the course of the summer so far, um, with our teachers, and we have one pro- planned during our um, uh, our teacher in service days just before school starts, um, to catch some of our new teachers and anybody who wasn't available, and they've been extremely excited and and using it. And have actually been very open to us responding with, we don't know. Um, and I think it's been important to, for us, you know, as leaders to admit we don't have all the answers, that they can have answers that we don't yet have, and that it's a learning process and it's okay to fail as long as we learn something from that and move forward and do it better next time. So it, it's been encouraging, you know for the stu- for the teachers um it's been encouraging for me and 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 my partner in the school um that does a lot of the training stuff with us um it's been excellent and the nice thing with iPads is that the teacher the students certainly don't need any training on those things <laughs> yeah that that reminds me we this last week we had a training session on on Wednesday um and in the course of the training, you know, we're going along and we're talking about different things and how to use it on the iPad and how to implement it in the classroom. And um, one of the teachers, you know, stops and raises their hands and says, you know, when are the students being trained on the iPads? And it was really tough on me because I just looked and tough to was la- not laugh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying not to laugh. I was trying to take it seriously. And I just went are you serious? And she looked at me like, well, yeah, I am serious. And so then I had to go back to what I've used is I have a 20 month old daughter, um, my youngest, and she will take my iPad and or my iPhone, depending on which one's closer in proximity. And she will start it up on her own. We've never taught her how to do this. And she will open up Angry Birds and she will begin to play Angry Birds with no help never been trained we never showed her how to start the device or you know how to slide the little thing over to unlock it or anything like that and she will just do it completely on her own and i think you know for teachers it's tough because this is a new device it's something that they've never seen before and the whole concept of computers is still new um you know, to, to their generation, to our generation. I remember, you know, my first computer type thing, but to us, you know, cars are old hat. Did anybody ever train us on what a car is, (laughs) you know, perhaps how to use one efficiently, right? But we never taught what a car was. We just understood those are cars. They take people places. 
And for these kids, they've never lived in a world without cell phones and without computers and without personal computers. And I think, you know, the notion that we have to teach them what these things are um, is is old old hat <laughs> well and i've well, got i've got something to relate to that because uh i taught technology the this last semester uh, last year and uh, in the middle school and we were kind of getting down towards the end of the year and we were wrapping up projects and everything and i had a student that uh was kind of done with everything and wanted to wanted to do something else and so he was asking me about well how do i make a website and uh i was like well uh let's see here because i can uh, I can do something very complicated that I really didn't have time to to get into detail with him. Um, or I was like, well, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pop up a, a free website where he can just play around and and you know, sure. uh, you know, not quite a, a Squarespace, but something where he can just kind of get get the feel for how easy it is to actually build a website. And uh, so uh -huh. I, I show him a site and uh, and he he kind of looks at it and he starts playing around and he's asking me, you know, one question after another. And, uh, I said, uh, you need to figure that out because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm busy still helping other students with whatever project we're working on. And I said, uh, you can figure it out. And I think that's where uh, teachers, they, they kind of miss the boat a little bit sometimes when it comes to these new technologies is one, they don't have to be an expert on it. And, uh, two, if they just empower the, the kids to learn this stuff on their own, which a lot of times they're fully capable of doing, and they're probably more capable of doing than the teacher is. Um, if you can just let that paradigm shift occur in your brain, uh, you, you're going to see some amazing things happen. Absolutely. I think um, we've actually had this issue with not only teachers, but with some of our parents, because understand that our parents, you know, are the same generation as these teachers are, you know, for the most part. And they still have the expectation that school will be done the way that it was when they were there. And that that paradigm of having the teacher be the um, uh, to be the ultimate authority and to be the, you know, the all knowing giver of knowledge in that classroom just doesn't exist. I mean, our kids have access in their pocket to more knowledge than any one teacher could ever know. And then, you know, helping our parents to understand that, but also encouraging our teachers and letting them know that it's okay not to know everything and teaching them how to go about, um, you know, teaching students how to find knowledge and what to do with the information that they, they find and, and, you know, how to, how to go from there. So one of the things we've done is in our training sessions is we're trying to help our teachers become better lifelong learners themselves, whether it be, you know, finding resources via, um, Twitter or blogs or, um, you know, subscribing to RSS feeds so they can kind of keep up on all of these things um, and what's going on to learn from each other. It's it, it's it's a scary time because there's so much that it's unknown, but it's so encouraging because, you know, in our in our lives, um, we can reach out 
out and say, hey, does anybody have any information on this? And previously, we could have only done that within our own staff, which, you know, in some cases, a really small staff, in other cases, you know, is a huge staff. But um, now we have the world at our fingertip and, you know, let's teach the students, you know, by showing us, you know, leading by example, but then also what to do with the information that they find. Wow. Well, I, I just I wish I could say that there were more schools out there operating like that. Uh, we we try to do a lot of that here as well, and uh, you know it, it, it's just a great thing to see happening. And hopefully, we'll see that spread across more and more districts. Uh, Brian, uh, we're kind of coming to the end of, of our uh, our talk with you, and it's been a great one. Uh, as we often do, really, pretty much across all of our shows, we like to offer our guest, uh, uh, you know, just one final word. You know, if you could list or leave our listeners with one final thought, uh, what would you leave them with? Um, as teachers, take a shot. Don't be don't be afraid to fail. Um, be encouraged by the opportunity and reach out to others so that you have, you know, additional ideas and you have, you know, a support group out there. Um, I guess similar to the way that, you know, John and I met, um, online just by asking questions and, you know, admitting you don't know it all and, and going forward. Um, I think there's so much more beyond what we can do, um, or we can come up with on our own. And if there's any IT um, people out there, um, don't sell your teachers short. Give them the opportunity and let them be a little bit personal with their uh, with their devices because ultimately it yields more usage. And quite frankly, if they're not being used in the classroom, why do we have technology in schools to begin with? Very good, very good. Uh, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna cut away from the interview portion of the show now and get into our tips of the week. But uh, Brian, I do want to uh, encourage you to stick with us uh, uh, if you've got the time. Uh, yep, we'll do. Okay, and uh, feel free to chime in at, at any point. Uh, it's pretty pretty quick and short from here on out. But uh, I'll, I'll just say again, if we don't get the opportunity to that uh, uh, again, uh, that was uh, Brian Bruger, uh, IT administrator of the Meyer Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. And we, uh, we appreciate having you on the show. And we're definitely going to have to follow up with you again uh, at some point because I really want to hear how those one-to-one iPad initiatives are going. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd love to. All right. Well, uh, John, you want to you want to cut in with your uh, your tip of the week? Sure. Yeah, it's a quick one, um, mostly because I forgot to really pick out a good one for this week. But um, I was thinking about some of the, the resources that I always have uh, in the back of my head as I go to resources when I'm doing projects with my students. And the one website that came to mind is called Free Play Music. It's just freeplaymusic.com. Uh, there's there's an up and a downside to to it. So let me explain real quick. Um, free play music is all kinds of background instrumental music that you can use for projects um, in the classroom, and it's really really easy to find really quality background music um, because you can search for a number of different characteristics of the songs. You can search by feeling, by style, by instrument, by um, tempo, even by keywords, um, and it's a really easy way for students to find music that's going to be unobtrusive to their projects, say you're doing like a, a PowerPoint presentation, they want some good background music that fits with the theme of their 
their PowerPoint. So say they're doing the Dust Bowl, they could find some really depressing, sad sounding somber music that fits with that. Um, so very easy to do it. And you can actually download different uh, lengths of that song. So you don't even just splice it or or go into something like Audacity and and cut it down yourself. You can download a 30 second clip or a two minute clip or a five minute clip or whatever they have on there. Um, so great resource to have. The downside with it is that a lot of it is licensed music. So you're allowed to use it for projects or things in the classroom, but you can't use it for something like a podcast that you'd be publishing. Um, so that's kind of the downside to it. It's nice to know it's there. Um, sometimes it's a bummer to know it's there because you want to use it for something like a podcast and you know you can't. But either way, freeplaymusic.com, it's a a good site just to have in the back of your head if you have kids doing projects or you know movies that kind of thing absolutely absolutely all right well uh i'm gonna jump in with the tech tip and the tech tip this week is really uh it's more of a teacher tip but the reason i've got it listed as a tech tip is it's kind of it, it kind of has a geeky origin uh so uh, most teachers uh might may not be uh, familiar with it it's called tux for kids and uh if you're not familiar with Tux out there, it's T-U-X. Uh, T-U-X is the little penguin that is kind of the uh, the mascot of, of Linux, so the Linux operating system. And uh, geeks out there across the world are going to be very familiar with this. Uh, I know, Brian, you're, you're probably familiar with Tux, right? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Tux for Kids is just, uh, it's an open source, uh, suite of tools. And I'll say suite, it's, uh, three, uh, tools in particular. Um, they have, uh, Tux Math, Tux Paint, and Tux Typing. And most of this, I would say, is probably geared more towards your, uh, oh, let's say maybe third through sixth, seventh grade, uh, somewhere in that, in, in that range. Uh, but they're very engaging games. Now, this is all free. Uh, they're very engaging games. As a matter of fact, I can't help myself. You know, every time I install this on, on a, a computer or on an image, uh, I can't help. You know, we got to go and run it anyways just to make sure there's not any problems. So we go through and test all the software. But uh, these games are, they're just very engaging. You know, you sit there and it's fun to, to try to type. And uh, the Tux Math uh, is, is very much the same. Uh they're they're pretty and they've got you know great little uh graphics and everything and uh, but very simple and so uh, kids in that range are going to really enjoy it uh and uh, uh best of all it's free so check it out at tux the number four kids.com and we'll also have a link to uh, both of these in the show notes so uh, if you go over to elementopi.com you can uh, you can get those links i didn't realize that that was for windows now i I have a, a whole side of me you don't know, Sean. I got the, the Linux nerd in me too. I didn't realize that uh, that the Tux for Kids stuff was was Windows now too. Absolutely, yeah. As a matter of fact, I believe, uh, and I could be wrong here. I, it's funny. I just installed this on something today, but I'm pretty sure they even have it for the Mac. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what it says now. I was looking at the site. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can uh, basically if you've if you've got a computer out there, you can put this on it and. Uh, uh, again, it's, I've done, especially the typing stuff, you know, and I, I learned how to type in high school, you know, back on the old, uh, you know, typewriters <laughs> and, uh, uh, 
along the way, I've used a lot of different softwares that are, you know, hone your skills and everything else. But I, I love tux typing. <laughs> just every time I install that thing, I got to sit there and play with it for five or 10 minutes. And, uh, sure enough, at the end of it, I'm typing a little quicker than I was before. So, uh, great suite of tools, tux for kids. Okay. All right. So, uh, John, uh, you think this is the time? Yeah. What do you say? Why don't you, uh, Explain to our listeners how to get a hold of us. All right. Uh, yeah, many, many ways that you can get a hold of us. Uh, we'll start off with uh, email, tightwadteacher at elementopi.com. Uh, send us an email if you got any questions or comments. Uh, you can also go to the website, elementopi.com. And that's probably the best way to really reach out. And uh, one, you know, we're, we want to create a community around the show. So uh, you can go on there and uh, we have forums dedicated just to the show and <laughs> as well as forums to our other shows um so hop on there get onto the forums and uh you know post questions make comments whatever uh we'll, we'll take you know all the good comments we can get and uh, we may just <laughs> read it back on the show so <laughs> by all means do that uh twitter uh, you can follow us at element op and uh if you go to uh, at element op the the page on Twitter there, uh, you're going to get several lists and one of those will be the tightwad teacher list. If you follow that, you're going to get both mine and John's, uh, Twitter feeds. Um, and you know, I gotta say, this is a good time to really say I'm, I'm really on the fence with Twitter now after Google plus has come out. Uh, oh. yeah, it, it's really tough, but it, you know, it seems like that crowd, right? I mean, my Facebook crowd is mostly, um, uh, private right it's mostly family and friends and things like that and twitter's mostly professional for me so i kind of have a divide there and it <clears> seems <throat> like everybody i have on twitter is on google plus so um I, I, i'm a little torn i i'm torn too what i'm finding myself doing is i'm still continuing the twitter work that that i do there and and that hasn't changed a whole lot facebook is you know for the people who really do want to see pictures of my children and things like that right. um parents family members, you know, close friends, things like that. And then I'm, I find myself using Google plus, you know, kind of as a more in depth, you know, how do we deal with this type of a situation, whether it be educational technology or, you know, um, more it based stuff. So as I'm building the uh, Google plus group, I find it to be more, more conversational because, you know, there's more characters available and there's a thread that you could refer to later on. Yeah. I, I, that's where I'm just having, you know, a tough time with the whole Facebook thing. I think if my Facebook crowd would move over to, I could literally, I could do away with Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. I have no problem with that. Uh, and I, you know, the, the Facebook thing, um, some of it is stuff that I know that Google plus is going to have eventually, you know, all the games and all the posts and things that go along with that, that I just can't stand in Facebook. Uh, but you know, Google already has built the underpinnings for that. So that stuff's going to be there, but, uh, I have yep. faith in Google that they might do it a little bit less obtrusively. So, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll go that route, but, uh, it, it's just a matter of getting those people over there. See, I don't know. I got burned. I got burned by Google Wave a while back, and, and Google Wave was supposed to be that was supposed to be the Facebook killer and the Twitter killer and the email killer and the phone killer and everything else. And I got on and sat there and stared at an empty screen for two weeks and then said, "I'm done with this." Yeah, I, I I really had to beg people when I got the Google Wave. I was begging people, "Come on, get on there!" And I finally I got my my. 
15 year old son, you know, I, I wrenched his arm to get on there with me so we could just play with it. But, um, but this Google Plus definitely seems to have much more of an uptick on the front side. Um, and, uh, hopefully it can carry that through. Uh, part of the problem right now in Mark from the Tightwad Tech and, uh, we've been talking about that and we, we kind of were arguing that point because I said that I, I think it needs the games. It needs all of those extra apps and the APIs opened up so that uh, you can get that layer built on there because, I mean, that's what a lot of people on Facebook are on Facebook for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I, – I don't know. I'm actually more excited about seeing Google Plus in a school setting – because we still use email for things that really should be threaded conversations. And I see the Google Plus, I'm waiting to be able to turn it on for our Google Apps um, setup as much as I am, you know, excited to do it, you know, on my own, you know, amongst my peers, if you will, <clears throat> in, you know, in the industry. But um, if I may, I w- I'll just throw out if people have questions or want to follow up with me, um, I can be found on Twitter at Bruger. It's B-R-U-G-G-E-R. Or on Google Plus with my name, Brian Bruger. All right. And then you also have a personal website, right? Uh, yes, I do. It is called TaysonTech.com. It's T-A-Y-S-O-N Tech.com. Um, kind of derived out of uh, my first two uh, names of our children. And um, that was... a Back when I was a teacher, I was getting asked to do websites and things like that. So that was a spring break. Uh, I decided to start a, a side business. And I do a little bit of consulting and um, you know some web design work and things like that um, in the evenings when I'm not at my day job. All right. Well, we're always glad to help uh, cross-promote our guests. So uh, <laughs> by all means, go and uh, uh, check it out and follow Brian and uh, get all the great information you can from him. Uh, and uh, to conclude the longest contact us portion of the show <laughs> we've ever <Yeah>. had, <laughs> uh, let me uh, jump in here and we'll uh, just wrap it up. Of course, you can find us on Facebook and that's facebook.com slash element Opie. And uh, thank you to all our listeners out there for getting uh, giving us all the likes and uh, getting us our vanity earl so we appreciate that and you can also call us at 530-FRUGAL F-R-U-G-A-L-2 and uh, you can uh, call us leave us a voicemail and we'll uh, uh we will most likely put you on the show so uh, of course it is uh, unless it's just you know tearing us down you know how horrible we are or something <laughs> but uh leave us uh, leave us a question or comment and uh we'll we'll certainly address it uh do indicate which show you're uh leaving that for it's probably by the nature of the question will be obvious but uh just in case because that is a single line that comes in for all of our shows and uh, uh you can also do that on the website there's a there's a tool on there where you can actually put in your phone number and Google will call you and uh, you'll get a call and you can actually leave the message that way too. So uh, many, many ways to contact us. Uh, John, you got anything else this week? No, another good show there, Sean. Yeah, yeah just good, huh? Just, <laughs> hey, it's 95 degrees in my house right now. You're happy that I'm sitting upright. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, Brian, John, uh, thanks for uh, another great show. And uh, I guess I'll just wrap up with saying uh, this is Sean signing off. And John signing off.